Hey, and welcome to the Nordic Food Tech Podcast, where we speak with the leading entrepreneurs, organizations, ecosystem builders, and investors designing and enabling new food solutions in Scandinavia. My name is Annalisa Winther, and let's jump in. Cecilia Tilly on LinkedIn. In 2014, she founded Altuna Myril, which was one of the first startups focused on making vegan cheese in Sweden. The company grew to be sold in 50 stores and had a devoted fan base. Still, Cecilia and her team had to take the decision to close the company and declare bankruptcy. In this episode, Cecilia shares her personal story of starting the company and gives us a look into the realities of what it means to have your startup journey end in bankruptcy. Join us for an honest deep dive into what they did right, what they did wrong, and what they could have done better. Good morning, Cecilia, and welcome to the show. Thank you. So I'd love to begin by asking you the first question, which is, when did you first realize or was there a moment when you realized that you wanted to work within food? Um, I don't think there was really such a moment for me. Like when my first summer jobs when I was a teenager was working with food, you know, like just with catering. But then it was just that I wanted the money. It was not that I wanted to work with food. Uh, and then when I wanted to start working with the product development of uh, vegan products, that didn't come specifically because I wanted to work with food. It was more that I wanted to do something meaningful and something that I felt could make a difference. And I had been, I was a PhD student before, and there I felt that the work I was doing was not really making a difference. Um, it felt very abstract and very far from changing anything outside of academia or even within academia. So then I thought for me, one of the important things that I thought could be changed in the world was to uh, use less animal products, both from uh, like animal ethics point of view, but also from an environmental and resource point of view. And I thought that better plant-based products is was and I still think is in some part uh, a barrier to that, because there are a lot of people who would kind of like agree with the basic arguments for eating plant-based, but then it's like, yeah, but I love cheese. You know, I'm not going to give up that. So I, I thought this was really something important to work on uh, from that perspective. Um, and then in the beginning, I was actually not set on starting my own company. I was more looking for a job. So I applied to uh, other companies that uh, develop similar products, and but I wasn't able to get a job there. Uh, I, I was very persistent. I even asked, like, can I even just come for a study visit or something? Uh, but I didn't have the right uh, experience for them to think that I was interesting. Uh, but then it was actually a misunderstanding because I, as I remember it, I tried to apply for a job or ask for like opportunities to work with product development for uh, Astrid or Apena, but they misunderstood me and thought that I was trying to sell them a product. And then when they were kind of interested in that, I realized like, wait, I could actually do my own thing. I don't have to just apply for a job for someone else. So, so that was kind of how it came about that I started. And the company you applied for, not all of us are Swedish. So what, what do they do? Uh, they are make. I mean, they are 
I think one of the oldest brands on the Swedish market when it comes to vegan cheese or vegan, um, like all, all the stuff that you put on a sandwich, basically. But they have a lot of things and they don't actually produce themselves or at least they didn't at that point, but they are more like importing and branding. So therefore, I couldn't get a product development work job with them. <laughs> and at this point, were you a vegan? Uh, no, I wasn't. Uh, I was vegetarian, I think. Uh, I mean, it was quite a process for me. I also grew up on a farm with animals and stuff. So it's it was a quite long step for me to go vegan. Like, I, I mean, I grew up with the idea that vegans were super radical and crazy. So... I, uh, yeah, it was a process. <laughs> and I, I don't know if I would actually call myself 100% vegan now because it's it's so different what people put into that. Like, there are not, I, for example, I don't check the wines that I drink. Yeah, I was speaking with uh, Gustav from Yaltikat the other day and we were talking about how the term vegan has been stigmatized and now that's starting to shift, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> But maybe um, just for a little background, too, you said you were studying a PhD. What was your PhD in? Uh, that was in, uh, it was in scientific computing. So that is basically where maths and programming uh, goes together. But it was applied on uh, climate research. So it was making models of uh, Greenland and the Antarctica, like the ice sheets there. Uh, I think the applications were interesting, but it was too abstract. And in the end, I kind of felt like, you know, the problem with climate change is not that we know too little about what's going on. The problem is that we don't do the things that need to be done. For example, eating less meat. So I thought it, it, it even if this is something I would work on, I'm not making the most difference I can as a climate researcher. Mm, I see. So you went from this kind of abstract concept in your point of view to then starting a super concrete company that was making a difference. Can you share what the company was about? Yeah, so what we did was we were making, we called it like we make vegan dairy. Uh, so we, uh, in the beginning, I wasn't sure which product we were trying, experimenting with making both yogurts and cheeses. But then in the end, we focused on uh, cheese based on cashew nuts and where we used uh, bacteria culture. So we, we basically imitated the, uh, the same processes that are used in normal cheese uh, production, but we used it on cashew nuts instead. So like if you have these bacteria that in normal cheese, they will grow on lactose, the sugar in milk, you can also make them grow on the sugar that is present in cashew nuts and that you can get taste. Uh, yeah. You can get a taste that is kind of similar and similar experience of the product. And today we're seeing so many more vegan cheeses on the market. But what's important to note in this story is that this was 2014. Am I right? And that was a very, from what I understand, a very different climate when it came to food tech and plant alternative products. So can you tell us a little bit about the climate and how that was for startups back when you were starting the company? Yeah, Um It is a little bit difficult to for me to have a fair perspective on this because at that point I was also completely new to startups and to the whole startup environment. And now I am very comfortable in that environment and I have a much bigger network and so on. So I think 
in a way, it's hard for me to know like which things really changed and which things is just that I know more now. For example, I did not apply for any grants then because I thought that my product, like those grants are for innovation. And I thought that what I did was kind of simple. So I didn't think it was an innovative enough. And now I, I mean, now I see that there are probably a lot of grant money that we could have gotten in the beginning. Um, I think what has changed, especially in food, is this with how much products there are, uh, which you mentioned. Uh, so for us, it was pretty easy actually to get into the store because um, the supermarkets, they could see that there were, or the grocery stores, I'm not sure about the right terminology, but uh, they, they could see that uh, there were customers who requested these products, but there were not a lot of uh, companies that were producing it. So if I went to a store and I said, like, hi, I have this uh, new vegan cheese, do you want to try selling it? Then they would be very positive to that. I think today that space is a lot more crowded. So I think those who try to sell a new product today will actually have to work a lot harder um, on the sales. And I think it's then important to note that What's super interesting and how I found you is that you wrote this article on LinkedIn talking about the fact that your company actually went into bankruptcy and the learnings that you had from that. And that's what I'd love to dig into now is uh, some of the learnings you had and the journey you went into. So maybe I'll let you just have a super open-ended option there (laughs) to just start talking and say what happened because it's a massive journey that you went through. Yeah, so so this article was inspired by that. I read a similar article uh, by some other people that had failed with the project. And I thought it was so cool and so interesting. Uh, And like how that really gives the opportunity for someone else who wants to do something similar, not to have to start from scratch, but to actually start from where someone else left off. Uh, So that was one reason. And the other thing is that people are in, in the startup community, it's like bankruptcy is something you cannot mention. Like it's something so scary and like you, and it's everyone has to say all the time that everything goes great. And you say that like, even when you feel that you're really desperate. And I think that's, I I understand how it works because everyone loves a success story and while it's ongoing, then you have to keep it going. But then I think it's also important now that I can actually talk about the problems, which I couldn't at the time, then I think it's important to do. But I think, I mean, there were a lot of things that we learned, of course. Uh, I think one of the most important thing is to be, always think about different alternative scenarios and different alternative strategies. Um, So we, I, I made basically a plan and then we stuck to that. And when we didn't live up to that plan, like when we didn't sell as much as we thought, or when distribution became more complicated than we had expected, or when we weren't able to do the improvements in uh, product development that we had expected, then we just tried harder at the same thing. And I think it's for any startup, it's important to actually you know, be prepared to reconsider your whole strategy and 
kind of think of like, okay, we try this strategy and we believe it works, but if it doesn't work at all, like at what point do we realize that this doesn't work and we back off and we try something different? Um, so that was one thing. And another thing that is connected to that is that it's very important as a founder to take care of yourself and to take care of your own health because it's easy, like it became for me was that I also this, that if it doesn't work, I just try harder. And for me, that meant I just work more. But if you work too much and you're too stressed out, you're not really going to be the most creative person that you can be and you're not going to be very smart. And then you're going to make unnecessary mistakes. And uh, yeah, it's just not going to be good either for you or for the company. There, I've often heard a lot of people talking about tech failure and having these failure nights where people talk about it. But to me, it feels like within food, there hasn't been a ton of examples of companies starting up, uh, both having great success and then also failing in the learnings regarding how we can make the ecosystem better to enable more companies to succeed. So I'd love to hear actually a little bit more about your journey from when you began. And I guess what you saw as the pivot points or the moments where you're like, ooh, we could have done that better or we should have thought of this because those are super valuable learnings for companies who are also making food products that they may not be aware of otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we were good in the beginning like that we started and that uh, we went really quickly from idea. I mean, it was less than a year from that I had the idea of what I wanted to do and when I did like the very first prototype at home. Uh, until we actually <clears throat> had the uh, the products in the store, so that was good, and that is something that I really recommend, like to to test very quickly, like to just try to get your idea out there and test towards the real market. Um, the problem was that we didn't see it as a test; we didn't see it as an experiment. It was more like, okay, now we go for this and now we launch it, the product and from this point, we're going to deliver every week and then we're going to sell to most stores and we're just going to scale up. And I think it would have been a very good idea to start test selling in just a few stores and not try to expand at that point and just try to work really closely with these stores and to get feedback and you know, really, really check what works and what doesn't work. And here, like, and really work with, uh, like, whatever feedback we could get, both from the uh, the, the consumers, the, the customers that eat the product, but also from the stores, like, what do they think is convenient or inconvenient and so on. And um, I think this is also something, like, when you launch a new product, a lot of people will buy it the first week because they're very curious about it. Maybe that effect was even bigger back then when there were not so many new products. But it's important to do this test selling for a bit longer to actually see what is the normal consumption and try to figure out how how many people will actually buy your product every week or at least every month? Because you're never going to be able to run a company on that people just buy your product once to test it. Uh, and this is like there you have the opportunity to test and experiment with different prices and different um, uh, packaging and these kind of things. Um, so I think I think we should have had 
more patience in this and like really see it in, as an experiment. And I think connected to this was that we felt very stressed for money. Like I, I didn't really know how it worked with both. Like I mentioned, we didn't apply for any grants and uh, we got some support from Alme, which is um, like government money for startups, but that was uh, loans. Uh, and I didn't know how it worked with venture capital also. So in my view, we needed very quickly and very cheaply to get to a profitable business. While I think now I would more think like, okay, you, you can test the idea in this first stage and then you can bring in actually quite a lot of money to be able to take it to the next level. And, you know, you don't have to be in such a hurry to be profitable. It's more important that you do it right and that you you know, give yourself space to really make the most strategic decisions. And you said you had some hassles with logistics? <laughs> yeah, some. <laughs> Only a couple. <laughs> I, yeah, no, it was a lot of things. Like, I mean, in the beginning, the first, uh, we had a lot of problems finding a kitchen where we could be that would be okay for, for like commercial production. Uh, in the beginning, the first kitchen was... Um, lunch restaurant where we used the kitchen in the evenings and that was a struggle in itself because then both working always in the evenings and also that we never knew exactly at what hour we would actually get access to the kitchen and so on uh, then we eventually we got our own place um, which we like redesigned the whole place because it wasn't for food production before but it was quite easy to adapt it but then the problem was that the the floor that they uh, yeah the floor that was installed was not properly done. So like a week after we moved in, we realized like the floor is too soft, so it kind of cracks up, which is a big problem if you do food production because it, you you know like you have to. It's a struggle to keep it clean, and it's a lot of extra hours to keep it clean if the floor is not, uh, like, perfect. And then eventually, a year later, we had to change the floor, which meant we had to uh, shut down production and so on. And these are the kind of things that you never plan for. Uh, we also bought equipment um, that was imported from Slovenia, I think, or something, and that was super delayed and in the end, it couldn't do what we needed it to do. And we were trying to return it. And it, yeah, it was a really complicated process. Actually, that, at that point, I got help from my brother-in-law who just took over this. Uh, that, that was such a relief. He took over the whole like returning uh, process. Because it's also this, like, you have a ton of things to do anyway. You don't have time for this. All, all these things that interrupts. Uh, you know, the things that you should really be focusing on, like product development or sales. Who is your team? How many people did you have? And when we started, it was me and my partner, who's now my husband, and uh, my sister. And I was the only one working full-time on this. Uh, but my husband is very good at marketing. Uh, so he had he did all that part. And uh, my sister uh, worked in... Uh, which he still works with uh, quality assurance uh, in, um, uh, how do you say, Pharma pharmaceutical industry. 
so she knew a lot about that and like everything about biotech and so on. Uh, so this was my core team. Uh, and then we expanded with, uh, we hired people for production and for, uh, um, yeah, this distribution, like basically driving to the stores and this kind of things. Well, it's good that it doesn't seem like your relationships broke down when it came to closing the company, because that's also a sad story you hear too often. Yeah, no, I think I think for me, I mean, both, of course, with my husband and my sister, it's I think it was good kind of, I think for some people they are afraid to work together with the family because they're afraid that it will impact the relationships. For me, it was kind of nice because I know that to all of us, the relationships we have to each other are more important than the project. And that gives kind of comfort that you know that, you know, like or us taking care of each other is more important. But also for the investors uh, that I didn't know before, I still have like good relation to all of them and they are some of my you know most important like they are my best references to give if I have to give someone a reference or something so I think if you have sensible people around you they will understand that you know like failure is not something that you have to find a scapegoat for sometimes it's it just happens even if everyone does their best who did you have as investors I had yeah first it was actually my brother (laughs) And uh, um, a person who had been my mentor before that came in with uh, quite little money, but that was very uh, crucial that we got it at that point because, uh, yeah, we hadn't planned for investors, basically. And then suddenly we realized we're not going to make this without some external money. And I remember then I also called up this. There's this investor network called Connect. And I called up uh, Virginie, who was the CEO there, and I, I had submitted like an application to be part there. And then I, it said like, oh, you'll get, probably you can enter the next batch in two months or something. And I was like, oh, I need money now. And I called Virginie and I must have sounded like so crazy because I was just like, oh, I, I mean, is there someone I can meet next week? Like, I need money now. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that didn't work out. But then my brother and my previous mentor stepped in. And then eventually Virginie ended up being the um, both an investor and the, uh, uh, how do you say, the, the chairman of the, of the board of my company. So that's also like, it's not all first impressions. Like sometimes you can compensate for that. And, and I had some, uh, some other investors from the network also, but they were all like... Uh, yeah, angel investors. Right. So you also had some learnings around shelf life, if I remember correctly. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that turned out to be an extremely important thing in food. Um, and I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense. Like if you have something that has short self shelf life, uh, the price you charge has to cover for both, like that it has to be distributed quickly and if something expires and has to be thrown away, you have to cover that cost as well. Uh, and we had a shelf life of only two weeks. And that was extremely difficult. Uh, because if you distribute, like say that a store sells 12 cheeses in a week, because it's a niche segment as well. And then you have to send them only 12 cheeses at a time. And then they like 
the price of those 12 cheeses has to pay not only for the production of them, but also for the transportation of this tiny little package and so on. So, so that was a big problem. If they had lasted for three months, then we could sell a lot more for every batch and then it would be a lot cheaper. Um, and we tried to improve the shelf life and I, I, I don't think it would have been impossible because in theory it really should have been possible but then it crashed kind of with that all of these logistic troubles that was constantly distracting us and me from the product development work so there it was really a lack of focus on this that we try to do everything ourselves and uh, we try to do everything so cheaply and um yeah, that's that's a bit of a pity because I think it was a solvable problem, but we didn't have the right strategy to to solve it. Hmm. But you did feel like you got marketing right. Yes, definitely. And I think that was also because at that point that there was not so much competition in this segment and people got very excited uh, about the product. And uh, yeah, Johan also, uh, who was responsible for marketing, he... He's also really good at working with this and um, this kind of product, which is, I mean, it really means something to people. It's not just food. It relates to their identity and to what they want with their lives and like what kind of person they want to be and what they want to signal to their surrounding. And I think that kind of product is very suitable for uh, social media marketing, which was what we did. And we, I mean, we didn't pay for marketing. Like we didn't pay for like sponsored ads. I think, I don't think we ever did that actually, but we just got such a amazing support from the community uh, that people were sharing. And uh, also, I mean, apart from people sharing and liking stuff on social media, they would also go to their stores and like actively ask for our products. And then the store would call us and say like, Hey, people are asking for this. And that kind of, yeah, that kind of support, like, I don't know, like that is really cool. And, and that's also like psychologically really nice because like if you struggle with something, but then you get this feeling that, that people really appreciate what you're trying to do. That that really helps. Why do you think they were asking for your product rather than uh, the company you went to interview for that inspired you to then start your own thing? I think, I mean, for for some, I don't know if they had tasted it before or not. So, I mean, I guess for some it would be a taste preference, but for some, I think that they could relate to us and to our story and to that we were really that we were more personal kind of like I think a lot of other companies are maybe even some startups are afraid to be personal they are afraid to put a face on on the company kind of and sometimes that is because they want to seem bigger than they are or something uh well we were we were very transparent with who we were as people and I, I mean, even before we had started the company, we were asking in these um, Facebook groups, like, uh, is this something that people want? Would you be interested? What would, you know, like, so So they, I think people had followed us also from the very beginning. Uh, and that creates a relationship that I think 
maybe the competitors didn't have. But I think for some people, I guess it was just that they liked the product also because nobody else was trying to make really uh, like this kind of dessert cheese um, that is not just something you put on the pizza, but it's something like that in itself is really nice. And it's something that you bring out on a birthday or a Friday night when you want to make, you know, a special moment around food. Mm. And none of you had a background in food or had studied food when you started doing food production and designing this product? No, no, that's no, pretty direct. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Like it felt like it was still like kind of, I mean, I felt a bit safer because my sister had this uh, background for the quality work and she actually knew what she was talking about when she talked about uh, the bacteria that we had to, you know, check for or prevent uh, from occurring. And, uh, and I mean, I knew also from restaurants, like how it works. So I think that made it less intimidating for me that it, it didn't. And I, and I think, yeah, I think people maybe are a bit too scared of like regulations and certifications and so on, because it's, I mean, of course, it's important that you take it seriously and you follow it, but it, it's a bit like people are afraid of the tax authorities So that when they start a company. And in the end, they are there to help us to do things right. And they can actually give a lot of really good input on how to do things. So, uh, so from 2014 to 2017, you managed to grow the company to then be sold in 50 retailers throughout Sweden. How did you make the decision to close the company and know that it was the right time and the right moment to call it quits? Yeah, we um, both at that point, I had actually been um, uh, sick for two months or something. Uh, so even if that was not something that was like public, kind of, uh, I had had to... With stress, if I can ask? Yeah, yeah, stress. Uh, I don't know what it's called in English, but when you get this stress syndrome. So basically, I was unable to work uh, because I had worked way, way, way too much. Um, so both that was a thing. And we were looking at how to, we were starting to realize that I wouldn't be able to just come back like quickly. So we were trying to recruit someone to uh, replace me, but that's extremely difficult to recruit someone to replace the key entrepreneur in a company at the, which is still in an early stage. Uh, but then we also had uh, like real financial trouble. We were not profitable yet. And uh, we had loans uh, that cost quite a bit. Um, so basically we were in the situation uh, where if you go further, then the board has to take over the personal responsibility for contracts and so on. So in a limited company, like you, you're not allowed to use up the shareholder capital, I think it's called, uh, Aktie Kapital. Um, yeah, so we had basically used up our money and we could have gone on a little bit more but I think it, it was quite a relief for me uh, and I think for the other people also that at that point that we we decided like okay let's let's not take this further now I think on the other hand if I had been able to both if we had been able to like you know recognize that our current strategies weren't working and really try to think of 
other ways like half a year earlier and and see that it was serious then i think we could have you know pivoted somehow uh, to a different direction if we for example would have closed down all sales and all production and only focused on product development and try to collaborate with someone else for production or something like this the other thing is if i had taken care of myself better and not exhausted myself so much then i think definitely that we could have raised more capital and given us ourselves more space and that's interesting because as at that point beforehand i valued money more than my own uh, health and like how, how i felt so for example if it was that we could save money by me working in production instead of letting an employee do it. I would do that even if it meant uh, me not resting because I thought like I'm saving the money company, so I'm taking care of the company. But in the end for the company, it would have been more valuable that I rested because we could bring in more money, but we couldn't replace me. And, and I think that is something that is really hard to see when you're a first time entrepreneur and you, and you don't also know your limits. You think that you can go on for another year like this, even if you maybe can't. So. Yeah. It's when it's so important to have hopefully investors or some other people with experience who can recognize the telltale signs or say stop. But I also think it's interesting compared to what you said before of uh, the relationships being the most important thing in the company. And so mm -hmm. often it's easy to neglect the relationship to yourself which yeah. is sometimes the most important, but one that, you know, a lot of founders deal with all kinds of issues that they don't necessarily talk about or prioritize. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this also like other people can help you a bit, but no one else, like when you're a founder, nobody else actually sees everything you do. So there is really nobody else that can take that responsibility for telling you when to stop. So I think that's, that's really important to understand that you can't wait for someone else to stop you. You have to stop yourself in time. And, uh, and I was, I mean, I was so towards the board members, for example, I was really good at convincing them that I was doing well and that I was managing everything. So that is something also to think about your relationship with your board, that your board is not, some people that you should always try to impress and you should always try to keep them happy. Your board is actually there for you to help you. And if you have problems, you should bring those problems to the board and let them try to solve it as well. And I, I think that's also a, for a new entrepreneur, you, you feel like you have to prove yourself all the time, but that might not be the best strategy. Do you feel any regret? Uh, no, I wouldn't say so. <laughs> I mean, I, I would do things differently if I did it again, of course. Uh, but I don't think there was any other way for me to learn these things. And I mean, quitting the job I had before and starting this, like I learned so much and it got me to so many, so much better places. And also this just daring to do something like makes every time I try something new after this is much less dramatic and uh, it's a lot easier, maybe even easier because it failed, because that means I know I can survive failure as well. So yeah, the, I, I think it's, 
I, when I started, I thought like, okay, this is a really big decision. And I was really scared to start. I should say that as well. Like it wasn't an easy thing. But when I started, I kind of thought like, okay, if I succeed, then this was a good decision. And if I failed, then it was the wrong decision. But afterwards, it's like, yeah, but it was still the right decision to do, even if it failed afterwards, because of all the things that I learned. Now, nobody wants to plan for the end, but your bankruptcy process took something like two years. Do you have any tips for people to prepare how to organize the company ahead of time if that is a thing that they have to face where you'd say, hey, guys, be aware of this, think of that, call that guy, tips of tips for bankruptcy, you know? <laughs> uh, actually, bankruptcy is so nice after being like responsible for everything and you have to take care of everything. When you declare or you file for bankruptcy, then you hand over the responsibility and you basically don't have to do anything. I mean, what you, what you can do, you can think ahead of time maybe to basically pay your bills. You're, you're not allowed to uh, favorize, like you're not allowed to, you know, pay your favorite suppliers, but not your other suppliers or something like that. But uh yeah, no, actually, actually, there is nothing to prepare because at the point when you file for bankruptcy, then this, um, I don't know what it's called in English, the lawyer who takes care of the bankruptcy comes in. You have like one day when he interviews you about everything and, you know, you, you show him what's there and so on. And then you hand over the keys and that's it. And I mean, the process took two and a half years, but I was not involved at all. And it's also this point where you get to, like, if you want, you can, you know, answer questions and so on from people. But you can also forward everything to this person in charge. Um, so it's 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 a very smooth process, I would say. And uh, it's it's kind of you you just uh, you just step out, and and it can be difficult, of course, to hand over the keys and like you you can't. You're not allowed, you, you're not, you don't have access to any accounts or anything anymore. But in a way, that is also so nice because then you're free to move on with something else and get on with your life. Yes, you get the headspace. Switching gears a little bit towards the last questions, uh, curious to hear your perspective on if you had a vision for what the food ecosystem should look like in 10 to 15 years, it could also be from the view of Make, being making it easier to be a founder and be starting a company, what would you say? What would you hope for? Okay, this is a bit cliche, and I know that, because everyone are always talking about cooperation between industry and, like, innovators or, yeah, similar things. But I think in the food space, this could be improved, like, compared to other, like, if you work with other industries, I think there are more, like, industrial incubation programs and so on. And I think in the food space, it's a bit separated. Like, you have these people, like we were, like, that are completely new to food and never did anything like this. And you do these innovative projects, but you have to kind of come up with everything from start because you have no experience. And then you have the big industry, which are not as quick and innovative. And I think... I think it would help to have more uh, more ways to interact there. But I think that is probably coming as well now that like novel foods is becoming a bigger topic and they're coming more. Yeah, I, I think that is actually improving. 
another another thing uh, that I would like to see is that I wish that the food space was less polarized uh, between those who work with uh, animal products and those who work with plant-based and especially those who work with like small-scale grazing animals uh, because I think it becomes a debate that can become very heated and when people are you know really questioning each other's you know basic moral principles and painting each other as like bad people or in the best case stupid people <laughs> uh, but I think I think actually like those who work with small farms with animals and those who advocate plant-based food, they have quite similar values. Like they both care about animal welfare. They both care about environment and ecosystems. And they both think that caring about these things should have implications for what we eat. And I think that if you look at the bigger picture, the industrial farming is a bigger problem for both these groups. So, but sometimes it becomes easier to, to have this fight between each other rather than seeing that actually we're working for kind of the same goal. So we could focus more on the really bad animal, like uh, industrial uh, meat production and less on fighting with those who are actually really similar to ourselves. More collaboration. That's, You're not the first person to say that on this show. I'm just wondering if anybody wanted to get in touch with you regarding your experience, would that be okay? And if so, how might they be able to contact you? Uh, yeah, of course, that's okay. Uh, yeah, I think it's really interesting to talk about these things. So, so I would be happy to talk to people. And uh, I mean, either LinkedIn is a way. Uh, also, I just... Uh, got myself a Twitter account and trying to learn how to use it. So you can find me there as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think those ways are the easiest. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and for sharing your experience. It's been fantastic to learn from you. Thank you. All right, guys, that's all for today. You can find the show notes and more episodes at nordicfoodtech.io. And if you like what you hear, please be generous and take the time to rate the show or share it on social media. This is all about creating better food solutions, and we can't do that without your help. I'm Annalisa Winther, and let's spread the word about the Nordic food tech ecosystem together. See you next time.